worship. And I want to invite you, if you have any prayer requests or if you're in need of faith, we'd love for you to fill out a card that's in one of the chairs in front of you. Would you fill that out and put it in the offering? Um, just want to get through a few things that just are going to go on at least now or in the next couple months. There's no Wednesday gathering or youth group this Wednesday, and then we're going to start it back up on the 13th of June, and I hope that you'll join us. There's none this Wednesday. We will have Sunday school next Sunday, just so you know. And to kick off the weekend, we would invite you to come this Wednesday, uh, ne- next Saturday. All men at 8 o'clock are going to have a men's breakfast. Uh, I don't see Gus here right now, but Gus will be leading a study on that. And so come, we'll eat breakfast here, and then we'll have a study together in the morning on Saturday the 9th. Please join us. Bridal shower for Therese that's coming up. It'll be on July 7th. There's a sign-up out there. I mentioned this last week or the last couple of weeks. If you're interested in knowing more about the church, becoming a member, or membership at Faith is about, would you join us? And there's a sign-up outside, or you can fill it on the card. There's a sign-up out there on June 10th at Mike Crowley's house at 6 p.m. That's a Sunday evening. We're going to meet there, and we're going to talk about church membership. And I hope that you can join us on June 10th. Um, getting a lot of comfort in the mic. Um, the, we're actually going to, we have a guest. We're going to actually meet Pastor Feigerberg this morning, and we encourage you to take the Feigerberg that's in your bulletin and meditate on it this week. But um, we have a special guest, Bill Cromer for, from Gideon. He's, he's a friend of the church in that he's related to the church not only because he's a brother in Christ, but also because he is the father of Cindy, Cindy LaFave. And so that means he's also a grandfather here. And so it's a privilege to have him. Now, I want him to just share about what God is doing and how we can, in just even small and, and big ways, partner with them in what God's doing through the Word. And so, Bill, would you come on? Well, today it is my pleasure to share how this church and other churches partner with the Gideon. So that Bible Testament, God's written Word, can go out to the people of the world. Well, that's done in 220, I'm sorry, 201 countries of the world. And you really are responsible for arming the Gideons with Bible and with Testament to go out to, take to the world. People who obey will not have an opportunity to have Christians. Well, we praise God for the work of the Holy Spirit who walks alongside those who receive the scriptures. You can watch some and tell me yourself right now. Well, an example of that is a letter we received came from the Philippines from our grandson, Kenneth, about his grandfather. Listen to this. My grandfather received the New Testament while growing up in the Philippines. He read it every day and was saved. He became a pastor and prayed that his sons would also become pastors. God answered his prayer. All five of his sons became pastors. And so did their 15 sons, including me. God used our family to start over 500 churches. Folks, you helped provide one church. God used that in a mighty way. 21 pastors, 500 churches. Thank for contributing to that. Well, churches just like this church for over 100 years have distributed scriptures. In the past 12 months, 87 million people have received God's word. They're distributed in colleges, prisons, nursing homes, hospitals, military bases, and other pathways to life. Here in Genesee, countless thousands are distributed each year to Presbyterian College, Jefferson Baker College, University of Michigan Church. Over 5,000 every year are distributed at the county jail. And Pastor and Chaplain Novak tells us that nearly half of those who receive end up making a decision at the county jail. 
Yeah, just last week, <clears throat> I, was, I was having trouble with my voice, sorry. But just last week, the Genesis Hospital staff and patients received personal copies of God's Word. It's going on right here. It's going on in so many other countries in the world as well. And the results are so marvelous. Souls are saved, and eternal life for millions who previously had never seen a Bible. Let me tell you about a Hindu man who sent us this note. I was born in an Orthodox Hindu family. Gideon's visited my school and gave me a New Testament. Soon, I read it. I believed in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus. I then received a degree in theology and have become a missionary. May many more know of, Lord, of the Lord's love through His holy word. Brothers and sisters, you have in front of you, uh, in, that, uh, in the slot ahead of you, this, <coughs> this uh, bulletin insert. I'd like you to draw attention to this one in that that says, uh, Praise God for the collaboration of this church and the Giddings International. Uh, take it home, read it, share it with people. It's full of salvation stories. It's the stories of people who knew grace with an opportunity to know God's word, and therefore came, they came to know Jesus and, and salvation. Also in there is a half sheet that says, uh, Introduction to a Life-Changing Opportunity. That has to do with an opportunity you have because this display of free greeting cards is on the table as you enter uh, the church. All this is is your opportunity to save a soul someplace in the world by changing one behavior, one commercial behavior. Instead of buying a card, buy a Bible. Save a life. encourage you to read this and take it to heart. And you notice there's a family named at the bottom that you can refer to if you have more questions about what this Bible program is all about by using the cards. Oh, let's see. Got to rush through here. Since we're at a point where we can uh, just simply announce that it has been my joy to be here again in worship with you. I just learned that the uh, pastor is going to be opening a new church, and I can't wait to hear what that's going to be. May the Lord God bless you be on you in our whole church. But today is a chance for us to uh, continue making an offering, a gift, and that portion of, uh, that you pulled out has an envelope in it. That's what you can place your, your offering to buy and purchase more Bibles uh, today. And that can go in the regular offering, or it can, I'll be standing here with, a, with an open Bible at the end of the service if you want to just place it on the, in the Bible. But today is an opportunity to participate in Bible outreach and soul winning so that many might be saved. Use that envelope, and if you're not prepared today, well, then just mail it in. Write that to the mail address. It would be greatly appreciated. Just give what God puts on your heart to give, knowing that in 200 and that $20 will provide 16 of these New Testaments that will provide four full Bibles. Beloved, today we have the opportunity to make the living Word of God available to the masses of the world so that many might be saved. Amen.
Gideon and their ministry of the Word of God and the gospel throughout the world. Our Heavenly Father, your Word is living and it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and your gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes in it. And, and we, we pray that you will bless abundantly and multiply the activity around us and, and move in our congregation to give towards the Word of God being spread throughout the world. Help us as a congregation to treasure your Word, to love them, to delight in them, and to obey them. Father, if there is anyone in this room today who has never received Christ as Lord, today and, and this week who are going to be receiving salvation and justification through faith in Christ, eternal life, we thank you for being a God who saves, a God who delights, so eager and eager to save and to save the world. Help us to, to hear it and hear your voice as your word speaks this morning. Amen. Let's stand together. three years old through third grade are going to be dismissed for class, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to pray, and then we're going to take the offering, and while we take the offering, would you take the time during that offering to, to give, but also to pray for God to do a work in us through the Word. Ephesians chapter 4, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, because that's where we're going to be this morning in my message. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one. You can keep one of the black Bibles that's in front of you. And that you could find that on page 977. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the saints that are in Ephesus, but we can apply it to us. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one of, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of our Lord, all who is over all and through all and in all. I'm going to pray now. We need to pray for Sharon Keel. She's a member of ours who is not in good health. And in fact, the Lord might take her home soon or, or not. We need to pray for Karen, I mean Sharon, and we need to pray for many others. Let's go to God this morning. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you have called us this morning. You've called us not to an individual walk with you in a holiness devotional life alone, but you have called us to be part of one body together. And oh Father, I pray that you would come and bind us together. I pray that you do that through the Word. I pray that would drive us together is that one of the things that every one of us in this room have in common, Father, is that we have given up on our own righteousness. We've given up on all our efforts to save ourselves. We've given up all our seeking that we can feel or be saved or justified by our behavior. And we come and we fall at your feet and we say, you must do what your son did and I trust him. God, there's grieving this week. Would you pray for Jerry as he lost his son this week? You ushered him home for reasons we do not understand and I pray that you'd be with his wife, Hillary and sons, and oh God, I pray that you'd minister to that family and to Jerry and Lisa Howard. I pray that you'd be with Sharon and 
Sharon's daughter, Patty, and son, Scott. And I pray what you do with Sharon is they think that she'll do with you soon. Maybe not. Maybe she'll recover. And I pray that you would be with her this, this very moment. And if you are calling her home, I pray that your mercy will bring her to you. And thank you for the resurrection of the dead. Father, this morning I pray that you be with churches in this community. I was talking to my father-in-law this morning. Be with the churches, the large church and churches in China that still are very much persecuted and pushed underground. I pray that you would give them faithfulness and doctrinal purity and growth. I pray that you would restrain the government that persecutes them, and I pray that you would bring victory to the church. And Jesus Christ, our victor, would bring triumphal salvation to millions and millions in China and in South Korea and in North Korea. I pray that freedom would open up in North Korea so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed and spread to a dark empire. But our empire is not an empire. Our country is very dark. We have turned away and we do not deserve your mercy. We are not a city built on a hill. The church is, not America. And I pray that this church and the churches across America would fall on our knees and we would repent of our sins and we would seek you. I pray that we would be patient. We would be gentle and we would be humble as Paul told us. And we would walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. I pray that we would abandon all individualism and consumerism and selfishness and shallowness. I pray that you would drive us towards a love for one another, a holy zeal, and you would help us to repent of all indifference or apathy. I pray that you would minister through the word that is the normal means of grace. It is remarkable how you could use the next 30 minutes in this sermon to change us. And would you do that? Would you use the recording of this message and the live stream of this message, whether it be watched right now or later on, to be a blessing in ways that we cannot fathom? And it won't be because of me, and it won't be because of technology, it will be because of your spirit. Now bless us as we give. Provide for our needs and more. In Jesus' name, amen. continue in Ephesians chapter 4 and invite you to turn there if you're not there yet. Ephesians chapter 4, you have to, uh, a place of notes in the back of your bulletin and I also am going to refer you to the insert that's on there that lists our church covenant sermon series. And so I invite you to take those things out. And I want you to all ponder with me for just a minute. I do not understand how this is going to work. Pastor Russ referred to this last Sunday in regards to there's going to be a judgment, there is going to be a reckoning when we die someday, and, and the importance of the body. I don't understand how this is going to be, but I do know that someday, because I believe this book, and I believe that everything that is written in here, Paul the Apostle wrote to pastors, and whoever wrote the book of Hebrews wrote to leaders, or referred to leaders, and it said that all leaders that shepherd the Word of God as teachers, preachers, will someday give an account for their preaching and their teaching. It said there shouldn't be many teachers because you're going to have a higher 
judgment upon you. There's going to be a certain type of accountability. I don't know how, it, and we were sitting around the table, my father-in-law asked, what do you think that's going to look like? And I said, I really don't know. I don't know how, if I'm going to sit there, and, and someday they'll say, Jason Bukowski, tell me about him. How'd you do shepherding him? Stephen Ross, Roger, Jason, Jeremy, Terry, Tracy, Linda. I'm gonna. It says you want, they watch over your soul. You will give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be unprofitable to you. Another time, Paul writes and he says, "In the presence of God." who will judge the living and the dead, preach the word. Do it knowing you're going to be judged. So with that in mind, I want to extend that, that thought to you because I do believe that God has given, just as God has given me as a pastor and as a preacher a job to do, and it's a job with responsibility and authority I'm actually called for you to say, listen and obey me as I'm obedient to this word. Not obey me in my own little whim. Obey this word that I proclaim. And, and I'm going to give an account, and you're going to give an account to how you heard the word and actually did the job that you're called to do. And I want to talk about that job. And I'm, that introduces me to a, introduces you to a series that I want to take us through the summer. We are not done with First Samuel. We're going to be back in First Samuel, even some this summer. But I, I feel burdened for us to take seriously this calling and job, this privilege that each of us is called to, and it's described in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, my main goal this morning is not to primarily preach and exposit this passage, but I do want to bring a few things out. And so I'm going to read it briefly. I'm going to read it. I'm going to explain a few things, and I'm going to give a pastoral charge and a heart, my heartbeat to you guys this morning, okay? So if, if I could just get your attention to this moment that God would use, and would you pray for me, and would you pray, would you pray for one another? So this is what Paul, he's in the middle of Ephesians, a beautiful letter to a church called, and he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Saints in Ephesus aren't just the holy, extra, extra holy Christians the elite members. That's all of the church who have repented of their sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's getting to the application practical side and he says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, he was literally in prison and he's not going to say, help me now. Instead he says, please do this before the Lord. I urge you and he's not talking about individual Christians. He's the whole church. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You have a calling, church, if you're a saint of God. If you're a saint of God, if you have repented of your sins and born again, and then, and then you will follow in obedience to baptism and being part of the church. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he says, this is how this worthiness looks. With all humility. And with gentleness. And with patience and bearing with one another in love. If, if you don't know why that command is necessary... If you're going to walk worthy with a bunch of other believers in a church, and you're, it's going to take humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another love, then you haven't hung out with the church long enough. Because if you hang out with the church long enough, you're going to know that you're going to need humility, you're going to need gentleness, you're going to need patience, and you're going to have to bear with one another. And then he goes on and he says, give me kids in this world, my dear. There is one the basis of the unity that you're supposed to now strive for. You're to be eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one Father and there's one Lord and there's one baptism. In fact, you're marked by baptism. That's, that's a mark of who you are now. You've been baptized into Christ Jesus if you've been believed. And then you enter into the church all together 
There's one God and one Father of us all. The Lord, He's through us. We are through Him and in Him. He's in all. And then He says, and okay, by the way, this unity, this ability to walk, years to walk, and for me to walk in this worthiness, He says, oh, you can't do it on your own. Stop trying to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. But grace was given to the church. Through Jesus Christ, grace was given and according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then it gives this, this talk about how Jesus, and he's, it's quoting Psalm 68, he ascended, he descended to the lower parts, and then he ascended. It's, it's about his coming to earth, and then he was ascended back to the Father's right hand, and he distributed gifts to the church in order to take this, this church, the churches, the gathered believers in the world who gather in local congregations, they gather to worship, to obey the Scriptures, to preach the Gospel, to, to follow the ordinances of the baptism and the Lord's Supper. He gave the gift to build up this church. And verse 11 says, those gifts are people. The apostles and the prophets here, look at verse 11. He gave the evangelists, and now, and then the shepherds, that's the word, you could fill in the word pastors, that's that word meaning pastors, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints, that's you, if you're a saint, that's you, if you have repented and believed and He has saved you and you're marked by Him, following Him in obey, obedience, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We have six deacons in this church. Several of them gave the offering. Few of them are not able to be here this morning. We have six deacons, but this word here is the work of, of deaconess. Deaconess, the same word where we get deacon. There's a sense in which every one of you are called to do deacon work. You are servants. And to serve for what reason? He says here, for the building up of the body of Christ. You say, what's the body of Christ? We see here and other places, the body of Christ is the church, the gathered body of believers that unite together. And he's saying, you're to live worthy of that body of Christ. It is amazing. There's somebody giving the job. There's somebody giving the job. I would say pastors and elders to equip through teaching and preaching and shepherding in your life so that every one of you in this room, you, yes, you, including teenagers, are called to do deacon work, well, servant work. And what is it? What's the service? To build up the body. I think that means at times it's going to mean to grow, and at other times it means to grow in strength and vitality and health and godliness. Now he goes on and says, what does this building look like? Well, in verse 13, here's the purpose. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice this is his unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God. We need to grow in more our knowledge spiritual knowledge of Jesus. He goes on, to mature personhood or manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's goal is for you and me and us together as a church, individuals in it that have all been saved, born anew by God, a new nature, that you've repented of your sins, you've trusted in Him, Something new is happening. You come together and we grow together to be like Jesus in His holiness, in His love, in His grace. And to the world, the world says, what does Jesus look like in a living demonstration? Look at the church. Look at them all together. They're, they're growing like Jesus. Paul's emphasis here is not the individual Christian. Now, it doesn't mean individual Christians aren't supposed to grow to be like Jesus. They are. But Paul's burden is that individuals, yes, would grow to be like Jesus, but we would do this together, and that the whole church 
many members, each one of us, brought together, turns into one body, being made like Jesus. And then he says, so you're mature, and not like little babies. Little babies get driven by the wind. They're like, they have no, they're like a ship in the swirling waves with no ballast, and they get, the teaching of the world comes, and they go there. They see a televangelist on TV, they go this way. They do this, they, and they're not driven by this book. But that's not the goal. The church gets built up, and there's teaching. And that's why we prioritize the preaching of the Word in Sunday school, and we want to teach the Word. And Wednesday night, we teach the Word in Bible studies and small groups, and we want you to read the Word of God every day in order that we wouldn't be like little children just tossed to and fro by every word that teaching that comes our way, whether that be from preachers, books, self-help people, or just the world that just flows through social media or TV. Maybe. And he says, instead, you'll speak the truth in love. From the pulpit, you'll speak the truth in love. And I hope you do that this morning. I got some proof that's going to hurt. And love, I hope that comes with it to help the hurt. And he says, speaking the truth in love. And that's going to be your job, my job. You're going to have to... And he says, in order that we would all grow up in every way. Paul says, walking worthy means you grow up, people. All of us. We grow up together in every way into Christ who is the head. We're the body. All of us together. Not one of you is the body of Christ. All of us together are the body of Christ. You're a member of the body. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow into Christ from whom the whole body was joined together with which it, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I don't understand all that's here, and I'm not going to spend much more time than I just did explaining this passage right now. I hope to later on in, in the coming years and months, but I want you to get this. Paul said the church gets built up when each person, each part is working properly. You're a part. I'm a part. Are you working properly for the building up of the body of Christ? That's, that's a question each one of us that follow Jesus and believe in His Word and want to obey Him and be doers, not hearers, need to ask. So we're saints and we're believers. We are given a corporate calling. And it's... You and I don't know how important and how good how glorious God has designed the church to be. The church that Jesus Christ is meant to be something that the world may not understand, but in time marvel at. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said that God, this mystery of the church, is something that angels and I think even demons and the authorities and powers will look and they'll marvel at God's manifold wisdom and go, who could imagine a bunch of sinners brought together from all different places and what they have in common is they put all of their differences aside and they say, this is what we have in common. I have abandoned my hope in self-righteousness and my righteousness is in Jesus Christ alone and I have embraced this book and that means that my self-righteousness goes away and I have Jesus' righteousness and I can forgive one another and I can love one another and I can sacrifice to care for one another. Okay, so let me sum this up. This passage says, pastors, teachers are called to equip the saints to do this work of ministry, the building of the body, so that each part would do its work properly we each love each other. We pursue unity. We, per- we seek the knowledge of the Son of God. That means you to each other. You to me. Me to you. So this is what I wanted. I just want to share with you this morning, and, and pretty briefly. Uh, how do I want to equip? What do I want to do? I, I've prayed about this. I, I've prayed a lot about this. I, I think this is right. I think this is of God. This has been a process. Of 
of, of getting us here this morning. I'm going to do something I've never done before, and I'm going to use a church document. I did this kind of doctrinal statement years ago at another church. I'm going to use a document of our church that this church years ago, they adopted and said, we embrace this. We think God wants us to do it. It's in our constitution. I'm going to use that as a basis of preaching several sermons on the life, the practical life of the church and our commitments to one another. We call it our church covenant. It's in section three of our constitution. I'm sure you have the constitution memorized if you've been here at the church. Okay, that'd be weird if you were, if you did. But what I want to do here is I want to lead you through our church covenant that we read about a month ago. And you went, that's long. And that just went blew right by me. And some of you said, but that's good, that's good. That's interesting. That's kind of familiar. That's not familiar at all. When we become a member of this church, we actually are saying, I'm covenanting with one another. I'm covenanting to be, to be committed to this body and to be committed, committing my discipleship to this body and to help this body to together grow and build itself up in love that Jesus would be glorified. Here's my exhortation or challenge to all of us this morning. Let's all of us, and I know that some are not here this morning, and some, some have said they're going to watch it or they're going to watch it later or listen to it later. Let's all of us as faithful practically embrace the heart of the church covenant with, okay, I'm going to use two words. One you're familiar with, one you're not, with solemnity and joy. Now, so where did that come from? Well, it's in our covenant. It says we embrace this with solemnity and joy. Solemnity means this is serious. When I got married, stood up, stood up with Molly, holding hands, I said these vows, and boy, that was not a joking matter, but it was an awesome matter. Seventeen years this summer. This solemnity and joy solemnly seriousness and joy with duty and delight. Oh God, help me to embrace the heart of it. Because I think the heart of it is God's word for us. And help me to do it. I'm praying, God, will you help me to do it by the aid of the Spirit for Jesus' sake. Not my sake, not for the sake of some banner that's out there on the road so we look all good. Don't do it for me. Other than I'm, your, I'm one of your leaders who's to watch over your soul, and I say, please help me do it with joy. This is how we've, we've agreed to conduct ourselves. Okay, what's the church covenant? I just want to say this, because you might go, what, what's the church covenant? I don't know what church covenants are. I didn't grow up with the church covenant. In fact, church covenants are very a very historically Baptist practice. It's a Baptist practice because Baptists are actually free churches. So what's a free church? Free church is a church that's not part of the state church. State churches were in especially Europe, and you'd be born into a state church. You were baptized as a baby into a state church, or you became a citizen, and then you were part of the state church. Well, churches like Baptists said, no, to be part of the church, you need to be born anew and make a public confession to baptism and a decision to follow Jesus. And they said, well, we need to make some commitments. What binds us together as a church? The church covenant. The church covenant, one historian says, is a series of written pledges based on the Bible, which church members voluntarily make to God and to one another regarding their basic moral, spiritual commitments and practice of their faith. And in the church covenant, they, they are in a sense taking a commitment, a stand. They're saying that the church is not just some loose collection of people but that it stands for something. There are certain standards of behavior. The testimony and the witness of Christ matters. So a church covenant is a promise and a commitment. To the, a promise to God and a commitment to God. It's a promise to each other and to, to the church in general. And, and, and it is a personal commitment to personal holiness and obedience to Jesus Christ which we are called to do when we are saved. And so, if you take your insert of the bulletin, you'll see that we have two sides, and the italicized writing in there is the church covenant. 
doesn't look very recognizable what I saw a month ago because there's, there's bold headings which actually have bald headings besides the benediction in which I tend to not every Sunday I'm going to take some weeks off. We're going to be in Samuel. But I want to speak the truth of our calling. And I'm going to, I'm going to take us to God's Word by taking these headings. We're going to talk about commitment to Christ in the body. What does it mean to be saved and be born again? And why are we baptized? Why would we even make that as requirement? And, and what is our purpose as empowered people? It's love. We're going to talk about love. And what does it mean advancing our church with zeal? There's a sense in which it doesn't work unless together we are committed zealously to advance the building up of the body. And therefore, it's going to impact our time and our ambition, our making it a priority in our lives. And, and, and with our stewardship, number four, and with our devotion personally in God's Word, the integrity of the personal person so that you can have a ministry to others, but also our devotions in the home with kids. I want to talk about that. And, and by the way, the world is watching. I have had people, they know who's members of this church. And a lot of times I hear good reports and there's times where I hear bad reports. And it's a bad testimony in the name of Christ. And, and we should care about this. That should not make a difference. All of us should feel like we testify to something bigger than ourselves. As a pastor, I do. I mean, I gotta watch it. Everybody says that you're in a glass bowl. You're you're a pastor and pastor's kids. You got you got a calling. You represent Jesus Christ. What you do doesn't just reflect on you. It reflects on Jesus. And we're to talk like Christians and not gossip and backbite. And we are to honor our bodies. And we're to be zealous about keeping the main thing, the main thing. We care about the cause of Jesus Christ no matter what. And we're responsible. You are responsible for each other. We're responsible for one another. We live like it. And are we dealing with conflict rightly in grace at this church and with grace? And if we leave the church, if we move to another area, when we leave home, what do we do? Do we still take the spirit of his covenant too? I, I, my homework for you, my challenge for you, one of them would be for you to take that vision with you. Because next week I'm going to take the first section, section commitment to Christ and his body. And would you, would you come and would you pray and would you come with open hearts and would you even invite unbelievers because I'm going to, I want to clearly bring the gospel because one of the, the, the primary requirements for being able to sign this covenant is to say, I have been born in you, I've repented of my sins, and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In obedience to him, I'm baptized, and now I need to join the body of Christ. I need to in a local manifestation. Now, I, I want to say this. How do I want to do this? I want to say it this way. I want to do this series with this book wide open. And would you do it too? This, each week, I, the covenant is in authority. This book is the authority. If we find in the covenant that it's not a good phrase, it's not helpful, and it's not biblical, let's all together go, let's change our covenant based on this book. And let's do it together with I'm, I'm going to have to speak the truth in love. You can't go through something like this without going, if I'm being faithful, I'm going to have to say, guys, we're not doing this well. I might say, we have 65, 70% of this church that's a Sunday morning, 11 a.m. only people. How can you be the body when it's like that? Or how, 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 how can we, I want this to be a practical sermon series where we go, hey, let's, Let's dig into this and say, how, how can we live Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday, as the body of Christ? What does it mean for you to do the work of the ministry that you've been called to build up the body? My prayer and desire is to not be legalistic. It is not to take things that are extra biblical and say, you've got to do that. Or, 
to, to create a culture in us that we feel righteous before God because I just did these outward things. I grew up in a background of church and so in some of you where if you wore the right clothes, you abstained from certain substances, if you showed up at all the services, if everything looked on the outward way, like your kids don't get pregnant or didn't get somebody pregnant, and you didn't go to R-rated movies, at least outwardly where anybody could see you in the town, you're okay before God. You didn't say it like that, but that was what was brought to our, into this culture and event. Oh, it's so much more than this. I pray that this text, this sheet series will drive us to our great head, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ who saves us by His grace that it purifies us into holy people. Pastor Russ said last week, well, part of freedom is when freedom of Jesus Christ comes to us and we are now free to be holy. We are now free in a new way to pursue what we were meant to, not in the bondage of sin that just led us towards destruction. I pray God would help us to come with open minds and not critical spirits, but instead learning spirits. We want to grow hungry to say, how can we edify one another? How can we do our privileged job to walk with one another in love and do part, my part for the body of Christ? Each of you have a part if you're a Christian. It might not look up front in public like a pastor that preaches, but Paul says it's just as important and it's absolutely by the power and the great power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus. And someday you will be rewarded and you'll say, my reward all goes to you, Jesus, because you gave me the power. But you have taken the part that God has called you and you have sought to pursue it by trusting Him and with faithfulness. I'm almost done, but I want to give you some reasons why I wanted to do this. Because by giving these reasons, I hope they also make you go, well, I wrote it down there. How, why, do I, why do I want to preach a series like this? And why should you even care? And I hope that you've already heard the answer of why you should care about the series like this. But I wrote down a few things. Number one, I, I want to do this series for the sake of Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is so good and He's so holy and He's a saving Savior and He intends to work in this world and He is so dishonored and so blasphemed through this world in the media, by our politicians, by our artists, by our athletes, by our social media, by almost everything and by our so-called churches and proclaiming Christians. We should all care for the building up of the body because he's worth it. Because his name is so good. He is so glorious. His testimony and honor should not be blasphemed by the very people that actually call him by name. If you work in a factory or he's a Christian, oh really? That's what Christians look like? I don't want that Christianity. Instead it should be I think I want to know more about this Jesus, that he's, he's a Christian, and I, I see he, he struggles, and he has hardships, and he didn't have it all put together, but boy, his spirit is different. He has a gentleness, he has a tenderness, there's a humility in him that's so different. That's the first is for Jesus' sake. The second is for the honor of the church. I don't mean say church of London. I mean the honor of the church of Jesus Christ spread across the world, the bride of Christ, as Paul calls it. It's the body of Christ. It is, the, it is a temple being built up with many stones onto a living place where God dwells on this earth. If you were to read Ephesians this week and started to look to see what Paul says about the church, he says some amazing things. And I pray that because the church's honor is so glorious, 
we would honor the, the church. That the church is God's bride. Jesus' bride. It is the body of Christ in the world. We are the, rep, we are the pillars of the truth, the light of the world. May that light not be snuffed out. That body looks frail and full of lack of nutrition. Instead, be built up. We are His workmanship created. And workmanship actually means like home. We are His masterpiece. Oh, may we be a church by His mercy and not for our name, but for the name of the church of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would take this to heart and we would take the covenant to heart seriously because it brought, it's driven by the Word of God and His Spirit would help us to be something that right now we're not. But God's moving, moving us towards it. Three, I want to preach this because of the sad state of contemporary Christians. I'm not thinking of one person in this room. I'm thinking of Christians, some in this room and some in rooms all over America, some that are at home because they're not going to church. They go to church once a month or less. They call themselves Christians because they got saved, they say. And they might be saved. But, but it, is, it is not, I don't have to really go too far to understand that, guys, the American church has more of the world in its heart. Or I should say, not the American church, the American, quote, and Christians have so much of more of the world than it has in them. Here's some things that's true of Americans far too often, and it's true of us way too often. We are individualistic. We just make decisions based on myself and not other people. An example, when do I show up at church? Do I get up, get here at 11.01? Or quarter till so that I can be here to possibly help somebody? We're shallow. We don't want to dig deep and exercise our minds deeply and read books so that we can grow more and help other people. We can be selfish. We have a consumer mentality. What can I get out of this church or out of this program or Wednesday night or Sunday school? If I don't think I'm going to get what I need, I don't need to do it. Rather than producers and givers. We're ignorant of the truth. We're fickle and we quickly move on to something else. We are worldly and we are thinking of the things of this world rather than the things of God. We are almost a mirror image maybe with a Christian flavor of the world, maybe just ten years late in the world, in the style Now that's not everyone. I'm not saying that. But that is an, how the church, a trend in the church that we all have to fight against. That's the air that we breathe. That's the water we swim in in, in America. Because the America is rich and it's marketed well. It feeds us a lot in the economy of often when it comes down to getting what we want. And it changes our mindset. I like what Paul Tripp said. I'm persuaded that the church today has many more consumers than committed participants. Sure, Joe and Sheila may volunteer for a specific activity like DBS or uh, a deacon project, project, project or some service project. But this frequently falls woefully short of the everyone all the time model of the New Testament. Our tendency towards this consumerism, church consumerism, has increased within the church. For most of us, church is merely an event we attend or an organization we belong to. We do not see it as a calling that shapes our entire lives. Because we're part of the body of Christ. We're members of a body. I'm going to go quickly here. Number four. I want to preach this because faith has a church covenant, but we don't know what that church covenant is. Almost all of you, maybe some of you are an exception, but most of you don't know what our church covenant is, even if you're a member. And membership is meant to be, we covenant with this. We say together we're going to behave like this and we're going to hold each other accountable for the glory of Jesus and for the joy of each other's souls. We sat around as deacons and pastors, and I brought this to them, and they all looked at it, and, and 
I had told Scott I'd pick on him, and he said he didn't mind if I picked on him. He said he used it. He said, Scott said, I read this, and I was not familiar with it, and I was convicted, and I like it, and it, I need to put this before me more. I need to pray, God, help me to live this out. I think he does live this out in so many ways. But we have it, and let's, let's look at it. If, if we don't like it, let's get rid of it. But let's not have it and ignore it. Number five, I want to preach this for the joy of your soul. I believe that the most joy-giving reality for your soul is for you to be holy before God, loving the body of Christ, to growing in responsibility towards one another, using your part rightly, serving and building each other up, doing the work of ministry. That's what you were made for. Pray that it would result in great joy to all our souls that we be built up as the body. Hear me the last two. Number six, for these kids right here and for the kids that are in this back hallway and over there in the nursery. For you children, for our children and our future children, for even the young adults that just graduated from high school. Our children are watching us. They're watching how we relate to each other. They're watching to see what our devotion is to God and to each other. And our pursuit, our our devotion to saying, I'm going to live a a life that God has called me to with devotion and commitment to Jesus. They are watching. What are they seeing? Far too often they are seeing parents that in words are committed, but in the everyday actions and decisions and spending of their life, all they know what their mom and dad truly is. One theologian said probably one of the biggest reasons people are children are late growing up and leaving the faith when they're out of high school. It's not because of the paganism and atheism that they're going to get from their professors in secular colleges. It's because they have shaped into them through their parents what really matters. And it's sports and it's activities and it's other things, church is a good spiritual flavor, it's here, but we are not committed to one another. Oh, I pray that we would do this for our children's sake as well. I, I, our children are the next generation that will continue on the faith, and I pray that God, by His help, will work in us to lead by example. Lastly, I want to preach this about committing to the body, each part working, using the church covenant as a guide as we look at it for the unbelievers in our world. Your unbelieving neighbor, your unbelieving family member, the friend that you should get to know and are getting to know at, at Leo's or at some place that you're working or at your school, kids, teens in your school or if you're a teacher in your school, your coworker. They so desperately need Christians that are distinct from the world, not just like the world. That doesn't mean distinct in the most beautiful way, not distinct in some weird, strange, ugly way, but distinct in the holiness of Jesus Christ, distinct in that there is a love that we have, a hospitality that we have for one another. That's not, it's not exclusive in that we want to bring you in and love you and not be a holy split. But, but a community that's distinct from the world because we share something so uniquely in common and we're committed to help each other grow in love. So who's this for? It's for the saints of Facebook. The sermon series is for us saints. For you and I to understand our responsibility to one another because we're united to Christ and we're united to one another as believers. We are repentant sinners growing in faith and walking with God together. If you're a member, it's that you would grow and to embrace a more meaningful membership. If you're an attender and regularly part of this, that you will embrace meaningful membership and it's just it's covenant together. Young people of faith that are here or out, out there, it's for them too, so that we would, they would imitate our faith. And in fact, we would look at them and be humbled by their commitment, and they would encourage and exhort us as parents and adults. It's for visiting Christians. If you're here and you're a visitor, 
for you to see who we are and what we are called to do. See what the leadership here deems important. And if you are here, and, and there'll be some that will be here every Sunday that are non-Christian friends. Every Sunday we have non-Christian friends in this room. I'm sure there is this morning. We don't expect you to think that the living out that's in this covenant be normal. It might seem strange and seem weird and seem even cult-like. It's not. But we do want you to know and have, we want these unbelieving friends, non-Christian friends, to know and have the saving love of Jesus Christ, the gospel. You see, all these things, he'll write us to our challenges of our life. We're going to deal with temptations of life. We're going to deal with trials of life. We deal with difficult marriages and difficult children and financial struggles and work stress and spiritual coldness and depression and anxiety and split families and constant attacks at work and in school and the world. All these temptations, we need the body of Christ building each other in love. So this is what I ask of you. Will you do three things? Would you receive this series in the coming weeks? Will you receive this series by listening? Will you receive it with a trusting attitude? That this is, let's, let's go to the Word, but would you with trusting attitude go, oh, this is what God wants from me. Help me to grow, God. Will you two, number two, will you pray for it? Pray for each other, and will you attend? I want you to imagine, what if every one of us in this church embraced with Solemnness and joy the covenant by God's help. We'd have a revival in this church. And then lastly, I want to call you to discuss and apply. We don't have church on Wednesday night, but starting on the 13th of Wednesday, each Wednesday night we're going to begin with the first 15 to 20 minutes discussing the sermon that relates to this. And we're going to discuss it. So you're going to listen to the sermon and say, I have a question. What about this? Or you had a comment. Or... Or it might be a testimony. Hey, this is really convicting. Or this is a blessing. You're going to share that. And we're going to pray together as a church that by God's Spirit, He will work in us. Every covenant in the Old Testament, whether it be covenants to Abraham, Moses, David, every covenant was begun. They called it cut. They cut a covenant, start a covenant between God and man. It was cut with blood. They would cut it with blood and use the shedding of an animal's blood, and it was sprinkled on an altar, it was brought forth to the church. This is solemn, this is serious. God means it, we are to mean it. Blood's on us. This covenant between one another, before God and each other, was cut with blood the blood of Jesus Christ. We are united only because Jesus died for us. And He rose for us. We are united because He shed His blood to take away our sins and our guilt so that we could, as still sinners struggling, have hope and help and love each other as He loved us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You'd help us to love each other as Christ love the church. Oh, Father, you have promised us that, that you told husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church because Jesus does it the same way. He's still loving the church and he is washing her by the water and with the word to purify her and make her holy and beautiful. And God, make this church beautiful and holy. Care about the bricks of the parking lot as much as the hearts of us, each of us, in our relationship with each other. Would you please do that in our lives and our hearts? That is a work that you have to do and you promise to do. So, God, would you do that? God, I, I need your help. I, I, I need your faith. And each one of us needs your help and your faith to trust you and to follow you in obedience. In Jesus' name. Twenty-eight, eighteen through twenty is our benediction.
And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's take our seats and and for just a moment in silent prayer and reflection, let us uh, spend time thinking and praying on what God has revealed to you and to us in this service today.